0: a number of of great opportunities. If you missed the first three uh,
1: trainings, we do have those recorded. Uh, We do um, also will be recording this. As as you can see, the recording has started. Uh, For those interested in the Bring Your Own Data workshop, we have had to postpone that one due to some scheduling conflicts. Um, And so if you are interested in attending that training, uh, please let us know and send us some of your data because ultimately this training for the bring your own data is going to be tailored to the data that you give us. So we want to make sure that the data are meaningful and rather than building a proxy data set, if you're comfortable with de-identified data, we can use yours and be able to really tailor that experience for you. So just FYI that we are looking um, to postpone that a bit so that you can submit your data and we have an appropriate amount of time to kind of look through and build some analysis plans. And then we finish out the series with Crafting Your Data Management Plan on May 18th. So we are really looking forward to um, to bringing you this whole series in um, a series of links too so you can share it with your colleagues who may not be able to attend. All right, <clears throat> excuse me, without further ado. Let's move to data and grant seeking. We are exploring Loudoun County data today. So, we'll be talking a little bit about um, several aspects of the county's data and kind of the why, the what, and the how uh, for some of the collection. We'll also talk about um, collecting and identifying evidence based practices and how those will work. Uh, We have a a number of resources there to show you. We also have one of our esteemed colleagues from the Department of Mapping and GIS. So we will talk with uh, Trent Small about some of the mapping data um, and and how that will look. So the last thing that we wanna close out with um, is Tracy will be talking about a data toolkit that we are developing for you as nonprofits. And we are looking at those um, tools so that you can use them in the way that um, that is necessary for any grant that you are applying. We want to make sure that it's useful and that it's user friendly. So Tracy will be kind of closing out with those last um, kind of needs assessment and questions for you. All right, next slide. All right, so as with before, we do have the series recap. Um, All of the links in the PowerPoint are live. So when you receive your materials for for this training, you will be able to click on the, the links for Data 101, Census Training, and Data 102. And the PowerPoint is also going to be linked in that area. That way you have the information and you can use it um, as you see fit and as needed. All right, next slide. All right. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to um, our beloved grants coordinator, Barb, uh, who will be talking about uh, how we collect data, why we collect it, and what we collect. So I'm going to turn it over to Barb.
2: Thank you, Megan. Um, Good morning, everybody. Welcome to data management training number four. Um, We're going to start the training on why does Loudoun County collect data? Um, Why is data important um, in local government? The use of data plays an increasingly role in designing, delivering, and transforming public services to improve outcomes and drive efficiencies within current financial constraints. The data collected within a local government um, can be instrumental in improving service delivery, gaining valuable insights from the community, and operating more seamlessly across departments. So, a couple bullet points. We also need to be responsible stewards of taxpayer funds. As a local government, the county is responsible for ensuring that we efficiently and effectively use taxpayer funds to ultimately benefit all of our residents. We must be responsible with money that comes into the government and money that is spent protecting the long-term assets of the county through a commitment to moral, ethical, and prudent financial decision-making. Stewardship encouraged cooperative environment focused on the county's success. This means continually assessing and optimizing county practices. And then an example of stewards of good taxpayer dollars um, is our nonprofit human service application process, where those funds come from um, taxpayer dollars. So we need to be good stewards of that. The county is also responsible to other state and federal programs. Many County programs um, are funded by state and federal dollars. With that comes reporting that includes all entities receiving those funds. As a recipient and or a subrecipient of funds, the County must adhere to reporting requirements of the funder, including any entities the County may fund with those dollars. And examples of this would be our ARPA dollars or CDBG um, are examples of this. Data equity, data collection that helps promote equity by shining a light on the disparities that exist. Accurate data collection is an important step in developing targeted strategies to reduce disparities and ensure people and families are served in ways that best meet their needs. We also need to understand the populations being served understanding who are utilizing programs and using these data to help your organization improve the quality of life for the people you serve. We also need to understand program effectiveness. Data can provide credible evidence to show that your program or organization is successful. It may uncover and address limitations. It helps with internal quality, efficiency, and productivity. It shows that you are serious about improving your program and organization processes to serve the community better. It helps you grow as an organization. We also need to generate um, performance reports. Um, Here data equals knowledge. Good data provides indisputable evidence that will show through your performance reports. In contrast, anecdotal evidence, assumptions, or abstract observations will likely lead to wasted resources due to taking action based on incorrect conclusions. So that data is your evidence. um, That data really shows what your organization, what your um, programs are doing. County grant programs collect program evaluative data throughout the the county to better understand programs, services provided, and populations served in the county. With that, we'll move to slide six. What data does Loudoun County collect across grant programs? All grant programs in Loudoun require evalu- evaluation data to determine program effectiveness. Across the county, we collect inputs, outputs, and outcome data. Some examples of where Loudoun County collects data include our Human Service Nonprofit Grant, our Restricted Transit Occupancy Tax Fund, or our RTOT, the Conf- Conservation Easement Program, the American Rescue Plan Act, the Continuum of Care community development block grant or cdbg our department our volunteer department of fire and rescue our economic development business grants the county also collects data from citizen requests to emergency response times to permitting and business licensing funding is increasingly outcome and data driven with a shift from funding that is based on services provided to funding that is based on outcomes achieved, it is increasingly important for organizations to implement evidence-based practice and develop systems to collect and analyze data. Inputs, outputs, outcomes are terms that are used to describe changes at different levels from the delivery of goods and services to long-term sustainable change in people's lives. So we have our inputs. Inputs in simple terms are those things that we use in the project to implement it. Inputs are those resources you need to conduct the program or activities. For example, in any project, inputs could include things like human resources. It's your staff, your personnel. Finances in the form of money, machinery such as vehicles, trucks, um, refrigeration. and equipment such as public address systems. Inputs ensure that it is possible to deliver the intended results of the project. We have our outputs, which are the direct products of program activities and usually are measured in terms of volume of work accomplished. For example, the number of classes taught, number of counseling sessions conducted, number of participants served, number of hours of service delivered, or number of pounds of vegetables harvest. Output are activ- outputs are activities which lead to services or products being delivered. Outputs tell the story of what you produced or of your organization's activities. Outputs have little inherent value in themselves. They are important because they are intended to lead to a desired benefit for participants or target populations. Then we have our outcomes. The outputs start to bring about change, which are your outcomes, and eventually this will, and hopefully, contribute to the impact. Outcomes are usually more complex than outputs. A good outcome addresses the underlying challenge you are solving more directly than an output than an input or an output, but you're looking what you're looking for as an outcome is change in learning, in behavior, in conditions. This change is measure, measured in the target audience, which are individuals, groups, or communities. Outcomes answer the important question, are participants better off after receiving the service than they were before? This is a step beyond outputs. It's new knowledge, it's increased skills, it's health improvement, it's modified behavior and improved conditions. Outcome data measures how success is measured. When it comes to deciphering outcomes versus outputs, you can measure the impact of your organization by describing the outcomes you want to achieve, Why do you perform the process or service in the first place? Turn the identified outcomes into a quantitative measure. For example, the percent of of clients demonstrated new behavior or the percent of clients coming back into treatment. Confirm that your desired outcomes are actually linked to your outputs or activities. In other words, ensure that it that it is reasonable to expect your desired outcomes to be achieved based on your activities. Then implement these measures and track them over time. With that, you'll be able to demonstrate and increase your success because you have the data to confidently and appropriately communicate your impact and value. If there are no questions, we can move to slide seven. Data elements that the county collects. It's important to note that the notice of funding or the request for proposal or application is your closest friend when it comes to writing applications and determining what data to include in your application. Most funders have specific criteria around the data they want to see and report on. Reading the notice of funding as well as a contractor MOU will help guide what data elements to include and report on. All grant programs in Loudoun require evaluation data to determine program effectiveness. Some of the data the county collects includes two indicators, one being universal data and the other being programmatic specific. Universal uh, data indicators include age, gender, zip codes, and zip codes could be of where the client lives or where the services are provided. It includes race, ethnicity, and income level data programmatic indicators include the number of clients served or the number of attendees at event and this could be across a specified time which could be over a month a quarter or a year number of services provided this could be to an unduplicated client count and again across a specific specified time frame the other is public service data this includes data on the elderly, on the disabled, on our veteran community, on criminal background, or on our homeless or precariously housed. Program-specific indicators could be, for example, for rental, it could be the number of units, the number of affordable units, the number of qualified as Energy Star, or the number brought into compliance with Lead Safe Housing. There's also rental unit characteristics, which include the number occupied by elderly, the number subsidized with project-based rental assistance. So it all depends. And again, it goes back to the notice of funding and what the the funder is looking for um, in both um, the proposal as well as what they're looking for um, in the reporting. With that, you can move to slide eight. In the county emphasis on evidence, data collection is the process of gathering and measuring information on variables of interest that enables one to evaluate outcomes. Data will help you improve quality of life for people you support. Improving quality is first and foremost among the reasons why organizations should be using data. By allowing you to measure and take action, an effective data system can enable your organization to improve the quality of people's lives. Data shows evidence of effectiveness with a specific population. Are the target popu- targeted populations your organization is serving quality of life improved. Funders can rely on evidence of effectiveness because it is scientifically proven, it is a scientifically proven practice and it lends to more credibility. This is evidence-based practice, what works for you and why, generally geared for specific populations, and we want evidence to show the difference. Don't we all want to utilize best practice? Data can inform decisions, improve your clients' experience, and uncover trends that will shape your organization's future. But if data isn't collected consistently and reliably, it won't be useful or effective. That's why having a good collection is best practices. The county is responsible to state and federal programs. As mentioned previously, funding is increasingly becoming outcome and data driven. With a shift from funding that is based on services provided to funding that is based on outcomes achieved, It's increasingly important for organizations to implement evidence-based practice to develop systems to collect and analyze data. And this helps us to um, report to our state and federal programs. Data equity. Again, using data collection that helps promote equity. Um, Accurate data collection is an important step in developing targeted strategies to reduce disparities and ensure all people and families are served in ways that best meet their needs. Evidence-based data helps to understand outcomes compared to other populations. During and after the program, you can compare it to other similar populations and utilize it for benchmarking. How does the evidence compare to other populations? For example, does it work in Spanish if it's an English-based intervention? Evaluation plans need to be reviewed alongside the project description to confirm that the services match the intended outcomes. Ideally, the outcomes align with evidence-based program outcomes listed. In the absence of an evidence-based program, the outcomes and outputs need to feed into the community need. How is the proposed solution going to change the residents' lives? Evidence builds through validated data. We use those data to support measuring outcomes. We also use those data for context in programming and to tailor services. Later, um, we will talk about a series of ways you may use county resources to support building evidence. With that, I'll turn it back to Megan.
1: Thanks, Barb. Um, We were supposed to, you know, tag team that entire presentation, but Barb (laughs) just did such a great job. Um, So so thanks, Barb. I think, you know, as we as we move into some of the evidence based practices and clearing houses for those, we'll we'll get into understanding outcomes And kind of the logic behind some of those as as we move forward. Um, But for now, I would like to um, introduce Trent Small, who's the Development and Analysis Division Manager uh, for Loudoun County in the Office of Mapping and Geographic Information. Uh, Trent has worked for Loudoun County for the past 20 years, uh, splitting time between uh, the Department of Building and Development and the Office of Mapping. Trent uh, is a proud native of Loudon County, we we see those very rarely sometimes, uh, and he grew up in Percival, um, relocated to Harrisonburg to go to James Madison University, and then and then came back to Percival to raise his family. So he is a a Loudon lover, which is great. Um, so we are looking forward to hearing about some of the mapping data, and then some of the um, Community resources that are housed in Trent's division. Trent, do you want to go take it away?
3: Excellent. Thank you very much, Megan. Um, uh, once again, I'm Trent Small, um, and I do uh, kind of want to start this with just saying thank you to all you all, all of you all, and the work that your organizations do. Um, being a loud native, uh, it's important. Um, it grows quickly, as everybody knows, and um, you, your work is. Uh, is very important to make loud the best it can be so a uh, huge thank you and hopefully some of this information that we can provide today can help you guys out so um, a little bit of background on the office of mapping um, we support initiatives throughout the county from um, simply mapping sites um, to assigning addresses and then we get involved in a lot of the larger efforts like the zoning ordinance rewrite um, re- recently uh, redistricting efforts um, conservation easement stewardship and the list really goes on and on so um, with that, um we kind of are a jack of all trades in our department, um which is a great thing, but sometimes it means that we are the expert of not some of these things. Um, so with that being said, I just want to kind of um let everyone know I did tell Barb and Megan and Tracy to jump in, um you know, as we all kind of share the expert as uh, or the expertise in a lot of these different areas. But hopefully some of the things I can um, share with you today will will be helpful to your organizations. Um, there will be some things that come up. I'm sure that we can't give you an answer right away, but we'll get back to you um, working with the team and making sure that you guys get the answers that you need. Um, so today I've been asked to come and share with you about some local data resources that may be helpful to your organizations. This is a large task as this these resources and data sets just grow on a daily basis. Uh, technology continues to grow and gives us a bunch um, more stuff at our fingertips. So. At a minimum today, I hope to be able to leave you with some general understanding of some different resources that we have at the county level, as well as just provide you with our contact information. So if things come up um, in the future, uh, you know who to reach out to and and we can be able to be a resource for you all. Um, So um, once again, to set the stage for this whole presentation, I want to raise a concept. I think uh, the question that came up earlier um, I'm looking back at my notes, but it was what, how, and why from, from Megan's intro. And I wanna actually emphasize another uh, aspect is, is where. Um, From the GIS, that's really where we're we're at is that, you know, with the GIS and technology, we're able to say things not just at a countywide level of, you know, let's say income, um, but we can actually look at maybe your service area and maybe a zip code or um, at a different level. And then you can also provide that information, whether it's in your grant applications or anything else, and compare that to the county level, state level, um, federal level. So it's just another kind of way of looking at GIS. Um, so, like I said, we, we talk about data a lot when we think about uh, numbers and statistics, but that where part is really important, too. So, just kind of think of that as we're going through this presentation, and I think that's really where mapping and GIS really kind of falls into this um, discussion. So, we'll give a little bit of kind of an educational background about what GIS is. Um, GIS stands for Geographic Information Systems, and it's generally just a computer system that analyzes and displays data based on a location. So that's really that where question that we were talking about. Um, You can see in this example here, um, we have hydrant. So let's say there's 30 hydrant points. Um, we We can learn more than just that there's 30 hydrant points, but we can actually see how they are in relation to the streets to the parcels and then really make some real world um, observations on those. And I mean, I think for this group, you know, turn those hydrants into the clients that you serve. Um, you know, they aren't just hydrants, but they're they're, they're people and, and they may be grouped in certain ways or they may be um, uh, dispersed differently throughout the county. So that kind of location is really important as we get into these. Um, I, I think I, I mentioned the, the example of the Um, average income, but that's one of those things that location is important Because, as you all know, um, income levels are different throughout the county um, and different zip codes and different census block groups, and that's one thing that we'll kind of get into and look at a little bit here in this this presentation. Um, How does Loudoun use GIS? In virtually everything that the county does, we use GIS. Um, This can be from simple maps, Um, showing a site of a location to complex analysis. Um, As uh, Barb mentioned, you know, the the board leaned on uh, data to make decisions and to make sure that they're efficiently and effectively using taxpayer money. So this is one way that they use GIS as well um, to actually see some of those things on a map. Um, Some other things that allow them that that use the GIS, um, if you think very simplistically, everyone has an address that lives in the county and those are assigned by our department um, as well as um, when you call 911, um, their their background is actually a GIS where their the dispatcher is actually um, presented with a, a map that, that gives them a bunch of information that they can be more fi- efficient in um, figuring out what they need to send, what apparatuses to send, and, and what exactly the scene is going to look like. So, a lot of these um, really important things all kind of tie back to GIS, and I think the The really question is why you guys are here. How does this impact you? And I think um, how does the GIS run? It's lots and lots of data. So that's really what you guys are here for. So hopefully we can give you some um, different different um, resources that will point you to some things. Um, this is going to be a little bit of a whirlwind tour. I will warn you because there's a lot of information out there. So once again, um, you know, we'll, we'll give you kind of the high level um, view um, and then we're, we're going to be available for questions afterwards as well as, like I said, providing contact information. So if there's anything that that we can follow up with, uh, we'd be happy to do that. So. Um, before we do jump into the resources I think kind of going back to the whole technology and how quickly it changes is a really important aspect because specifically over the last um, I would say about five years technology as well as our department specifically has really tried to make data uh, very accessible Um, before you would have to come into the front counter you'd have to put a call in or fill out a sheet and then you'd come in and give us fifteen dollars and give you a cd it's not like that anymore you know now everything's um we still have that um resource available but most people are just going right on our website um, they're downloading the data that they need or they're at least viewing it right um, live and, and on the fly so um, that's that's something that's really changed and I think that's something that um, these resources will kind of show you that a lot of the stuff is right at your fingertips and then and, and let you kind of get in and, and use it the way that you need it so this slide is just really a quick resource that um, this has the um, live hyperlinks so that once you get this presentation this is kind of your one-stop shop for being able to click and quickly get to these applications um, at the end I will walk you through how to get to them you know through um, a web search or actually going from the loud.gov website but this is just the three that we'll we'll go over today uh, we have the Loudoun County Web Logis which is really our um, staple application that um, I kind of like to refer it, refer to it that it has everything in the kitchen sink. because It really has all the data sets that we have. Um, this gives you the ability to search and zoom in and find out some um, kind of uh, county wide level stuff as well as zooming into a parcel and find out some pretty specific information. So we'll we'll walk through a couple of examples of that. The Loudoun County Flickr Gallery is kind of a, I, once again, I, I like to refer to it as our old school map gallery. Um, this is PDFs, it's static maps. Um, but it, it has its place, I think, in this discussion because there may be some maps that you guys can just grab that are already made. You can put them into your grant applications or print them out and have them on your wall to use just as some references. So um, we'll quickly go over that. And then the meat and potatoes of the presentation will really be our Loudoun County Geo Hub. And this is kind of the one stop shop for everything. Uh, this, this links you to a lot of different resources. It has a lot of data, open data available right right within it. So um, this is more of our focused applications. Our web load just is kind of, you can get in and do a little bit of everything. Um, and then through the GeoHub, you're really going to get into a little bit more focus that provides some content and some context to the data that you're looking at. So Loudon County Web logist. Uh, this is the first uh, resource that we will demo. I'm going to jump over and most of this will be live demo from here on out. So those always go swimmingly. I'm sure nothing will crash on us, but uh, no, this is um, this is our Web logist. Hopefully most of you all have seen this before. Um, like I said, our, our everything in the Kitchen Sink application. Um, just a quick overview. Um, on the left-hand side, you will see groupings of data layers. And any of these groupings, you can actually click the plus beside, and there's actually a bunch of individual layers that fall within them. So there's everything from zoning data to environmental data to, of course, our parcels and addresses. Um, I'm going to walk you through two quick examples that hopefully will resonate with some of you all. with with the work that you do and the, and the task that you may have. Um, but there's a lot of different tools in here that we're not going to be able to get into today. But um, I think the first example would be, let's say that your organization serves um, elementary age kids, um, let's say in the Ashburn area. So we can simply kind of, let's just zoom in, um, somewhere in the Ashburn area, we know, you guys would know exactly where it would be. Um, but then we'll go to our schools layer. And once again, clicking the plus beside it, and you can see that underneath it, we have not only school sites, but we also have some zones. Um, so this may be information that you um, that you want to look at. So what we can do is, if you click on the schools, and you can click on school sites, and it'll kind of show you all of all of the sites that pop up. Um, for a little bit of reference, we can go back and click on our land records data, and this is actually going to um, show you more details of our parcels and our street network. Um, so let's say we're just kind of interested in this general area, um, just so that it isn't so busy. I'm going to turn those all back off for you. But let's say we just want to know what elementary schools that our services are provided to. So we can cl- quickly um, click on that. And you can see that you're presented with elementary school zones. Um, relatively easy task. Um, but let's say maybe you have to get some contact information for the administrative administrative staff from a couple of these schools. Um, Maybe it's just something that you want to put in one of your reports that this is the audience that you serve. Um, Just to kind of walk through a little bit more of the functionality. um, We have these these abbreviations here. Maybe you don't know what they are. Um, You can come up here to the identify tab. If you go to the identify and then schools and elementary schools, um, let's say we'll just click on one of these. So we have SAN. All right, I still don't know what that means. So if we click on the C code description. we will be popped up with a list over here that says SAN is Sanders Corner Elementary School. So let's say, you know, Sanders Elementary School as well as BST. Um, Not sure what that one is. So once again, I can click it and I can find out that that's Belmont Station Elementary School. So this is just kind of one simple resource that you could use. Um, Like I said, maybe you're reporting just based on that. Um, this will just give you a better idea of, of some of those different um, data sets that are out there. Like I said, schools is just one of many ones that are out there. So I think this example kind of gave you the, the countywide view, looking at some larger data sets, but also wanted to note, wanted you all to note that there's some very parcel specific information in here as well. So I'm just gonna refresh my screen to kind of clear it out start back from scratch. And let's say I really wanted to dig dig in a little bit more to like some site specific information. Um, so if we go in here, um, there is some search functionality in the search tab on the left. And let's say I just want to find an address. So I can come in here to the street address and I know um, which one I'm looking for. I'm looking for 11661 Harper's Ferry. So you can see as I'm typing this in, it's also giving me actual addresses that are valid. Um, When I get to that one, there's only one. So, I'm going to click on that address, and I'm going to click Locate on Map. And what it does is it selects that and zooms me to it. So, really quickly, you can see I'm out here off Harpers Ferry Road. Um, I'm going to just zoom out a little bit, and you can do that simply by using a a scroll wheel on the mouse. I'm going to turn on some land records data because I want to see my parcel lines. And uh, if you guys aren't familiar with this site, it's the Blue Ridge Center for Environmental Stewardship up, up on the mountain. Um, uh, State Park, uh, soon to be State Park, so um, kind of an exciting spot, um, but just wanted to kind of show you guys some of the other functionality. So we can turn on imagery. Um, so that kind of gives you more of a realistic view of, hey, what's on the ground and, and what does this site actually include? Um, and then we can also turn on and off layers. Um, you know, there may be a reason where you guys need to know if there's some environmental features, some floodplain, other things on the site. Um, so we can just turn on um, let's just go through districts and we can kind of walk through some of these. You can see there's a lot of data available. Um, you can see by clicking on ag, ag districts that this this site is in an ag district. Um, it also has some mountainside overlay district, which is a zoning overlay standard. Um, it also has some steep slopes, um, lots of different things, and then finally a conservation easement. So once again, just a lot of different data layers you can turn on or off. Um, there is some basic print functionality within Weblogis, nothing fancy to be honest, but at the same point it may get you what you need. Um, we can also just kind of do a screenshot of any of these if this is something that would be helpful for your um, for your uh, grant applications or just anything that you guys need. So one last thing with Weblogis, um, really kind of digging into the details here is that if you wanted additional information here on this property, you can actually go back to your search tab. And if we go parcels, click on map and get parcel and plat file information. If we go over here and click on our parcel, it is actually going to bring us up some additional information. And what I really wanted to point out to you is that um, in this in this results on the left, the PIN number is actually a hyperlink. So if you click on that, that is actually going to take you to the assessment system. So this is more a lot of the tabular data that you all are, are familiar with. Um, this may be getting a little bit into the weeds for a lot of your organizations, but at the same point, I think it's really a good example of GIS and how it links a lot of things together. Um, as well as this gives some basic information like some mailing addresses. So if if um, if you have just a few addresses that you need to get in and you know you need to reach out to them, this may be a way for you to kind of click around and and get mm-hmm. in and get that information. Um, you can see there's also a lot of other assessment data here, um, including sales and and um, evaluations and things like that. So. Um, Hopefully that example kind of showed you um, a little bit of everything that Weblogis can do um, from the countywide level of looking at zones um, to actually getting into the weeds and really looking at a, a specific parcel and some of the stuff that you can pull out from that. So the next example and actually Trent um, yeah. can i
1: can I just um I, I want to just pause yeah. there because I think this is so interesting for um for some of our organizations, especially around the school district and the the elementary school areas um, You can actually look at uh several addresses as you just sort of walked us through when we look at at um families with children how many um you know how many residents or households do we need to include there what's the geographic location? And then um, what are the areas that are zoned around it, for instance? How many businesses are there? Um, are there uh, safety precautions that maybe need to be addressed? And and Weblo just gives you that visual of, of those. And I really think, um, you know, this could be useful for grant applications, especially around um, transportation. So maybe we have a service that is located in Sterling. Uh, For elementary school students and you're looking to expand maybe into the western part of the county, but where in the western part of the county, where would you see the most um, the most households or the significant number of clients who are low income in a specific area. Right. So you can look at the households and then couple that with your census data. So I think these are really powerful tools um, that are just really going to be helpful in formulating what else could be needed uh, for these organizations. So I think it's really cool
3: excellent well thank you for jumping in megan i think those are those are great examples i think you know um i know zip code data was also something that was mentioned zip codes are also available here that can be turned on and off if you need kind of that uh quick quick snapshot that you need to put in a, a presentation or, or maybe a grant application um and then uh, something to point out and we'll talk about a little bit more at the end of the presentation but the data sets that you see here are also available as our open data which is uh, through the geohub and like i said we'll go over that. But so pretty much anything you see here, um, you can pull out as its own data set. Um, sometimes you need a little bit more of a GIS um, experience, but at the same point, a lot of your organizations may have access to that. So um, when you see a data set in here, don't think of it as just a, a, a data set that has to stay in Web Logis. It may be something that you pull out and you have it interact or do analysis with other information or even create a known, its own custom app, which you'll see here later. So I think that's a very good point. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, And then, well, let's just jump over to our our Flickr gallery. Like I said, this is our online um, uh, static map gallery. It's kind of the old school solution. Um, You know, we're all used to having maps printed and hung on the wall. Um, We're kind of getting away from that, but at the same point, this is still a great resource. Um, You can see that this is um, broken down into a bunch of different categories. Um, A lot of it right now is based on our election districts and precincts as we just went through the redistricting effort. Um, There's also things about our Loudoun County parks. We have a great resource of uh, a map series out there of all of our park sites and really nice maps. Um, So if that's a resource that anybody actually utilizes, it may be just um, something that you can use as a reference. Um, It shows a lot of the amenities on each of the parks. So for this this organization, or for this group, we really want to go over the demographic maps. Um, There's a whole map grouping. Um, You're probably used to seeing some of these. Uh, You you can see that um, it has a lot of uh, population data based on different ethnicities, um, races, also um, income levels, education levels. So there's a lot of information here, and I'm kind of using this hopefully as a learning learning experience for all of us, um, because one of the things that you'll notice once you click on one of these maps is the, the date um this is based on the 2015 to 2019 acs data Um, so it's good data um, but it may be a little outdated so this is one of those things um, this this gallery here we do anticipate to um, update with some newer maps um, but this does have some kind of historic things which have have their place um, but just kind of as a learning um, you know a lot of with technology growing it's easy to find stuff um, but it's also easy to find stuff that may not be exactly what you need so i would i would always encourage you to kind of dig in um, and see And then also um, we'll we'll get into it a little bit um, later, but with a lot of map series like this, um, you know, our office as well as a lot of other organizations are finding it a lot easier to put these things into applications so you can actually interact with them and it's a lot easier to keep the data up to date. So just one of those things as you guys are clicking around, uh, just always kind of keep that in the back of your mind. And I want to bounce back to... um, just our albums list. Um, I don't want to write off this this application or this group of maps as something that's outdated or old because I think there's a lot of um, valuable information in here. Um, Conservation easements, we have a great um, county-wide map here. Um, We have some town maps and also when you go into the town maps you also have some um, county-wide maps. So if if you don't have the GIS expertise in in your shop but you need to throw a county-wide map or something in one of your in one of your grant applications, something else, there are resources here that may be be helpful to you. Um, This is kind of, um, we plan to continue to update this, but um, you'll see as we go into the GeoHub next, and that's really where a lot of our emphasis is. So without further ado, we'll jump right into our Loudoun County GeoHub, and I have just barely been keeping track of a lot of the comments, and I apologize for not putting links in first, but I think this is really where Um, you guys can kind of make your home page if you have any Loudoun County data. Uh, The first thing I wanted to show you is that um, you can get to this. um, You just go to loudoun.gov, and I'll show you exactly how to get to the GeoHub from here. So loudoun.gov is easy to remember. Um, Once you're at the Loudoun site, if you go to the Government tab at the top, and then you'll see an Open Government. So if you click on Government, then Open Government. It will bring you up and the geohub is the one right at the top so that's hopefully relatively easy to remember government open government geohub and then once you're at the geohub site this actually provides links back to the two previous applications that we just walked through so we'll, we'll quickly jump ahead and we'll just scroll the whole way to the bottom and you will see that you have an app you have a link both to weblogis um, which was the first application we went over as well as the map gallery, which was our Flickr map gallery. So that's that's another one. So this is kind of the easiest way. Um, Google searches normally get you there, but this is the easiest way to remember how to, how to get there. Um, uh, kind of all in one stop. So uh, this is our Geohub. This is our main application. This is kind of our bread and butter now. This is where we spend a lot of our efforts and energy. Um, this is the one stop shop for all things GIS data. Uh, includes maps, includes applications. Um, so we can kind of walk through. Um, you can see these these six cards is what they're called is kind of how they're grouped um, and these are based on the 20 the boards 2020 initiative. So we anticipate in 2024 that this may be rearranged a little bit um, as a new board comes in, um, but just we try to organize it in a way that makes it easy for the for everyone to, to find the information that they need. Uh, Enjoy Loudon is going to have a lot of things based on the parks um, as well as environmental features. Um, We have transportation, which of course is, you know, transportation focused, but you can find a lot of information on park and ride lots, bus services, transportation projects, which may be of interest to some in this group, Um, building, you know, a lot of development activities where um, subdivisions are. The one that may be of interest to this group is this includes um, access to our pipeline data, and the pipeline data is really looking at what residential units have been approved. But haven't been built yet so that's really kind of something that like i said may be of interest to you all as you're looking at future growth or, or projections is looking at some of these things um, they they have some applications there that make it a little bit easier to consume some of that data
1: and and trent can i just um take a quick note there especially when we um we hear from the board of supervisors about affordable and attainable housing um often we may hear this in a, in a business meeting or in the public meetings and say, well, exactly where is that going to be? Exactly what has been approved. That is where you can find that. So, for instance, in Algonquian district, um, 600 um, attached homes and a residential area were just approved. So and that's considered affordable housing. So how will that impact services for, for you and how will that increase your client base?
3: Excellent, and that leads us actually perfectly um, into our next card, which is serving our community, and that's the one I really wanted to focus on with this group. Um, and we'll jump right. Uh, great, great lead-in, vegan, because we're we're jumping right into. You can see they have some um, uh, applications that are here, and the first one I really wanted to show you guys was the affordable housing one. Um, this is uh, you simply click on it; it'll open um, open some data. This is kind of um, showing the dispersion of our existing affordable housing stock. Um, and this is in the form of a story map so this is kind of a a GIS talk for just a website almost Um, but it's really aimed at giving some background content and context so you see we have some some charts and some graphs but we also have some content and some links to kind of show us some more information not just a map that you're expected to know all the information about but it tries to give you a little bit of the background Um, so what I wanted to show was looking at some of that um, current um, current housing stock um our third tab right here actually shows the number of existing affordable housing units based on the census block group. Now, to Megan's point previously, this is not these points are not showing exactly where these are. These are showing based on that census block group. So that's one thing to kind of also know about that where question of before is um some of those applications in the last um in the last uh, discussion, we're actually going to show project-specific, the actual outlines of the, of the project and where those housing units would be. This is more showing it on a county-wide scale, uh, but this is a great application. Um, this kind of shows, um, you can see kind of where the um, affordable housing units are. Um, you can also kind of dig in a little bit. We can zoom in, and if you actually click on any of these, you can actually see a little bit of a breakdown of, of the different types um, of units that are available. So here you see uh, in this census block group, there's 96 light tech. Uh, I think there's a there's another good example around here. Okay, here's a different census block group who actually has a, a little bit more of a mix. So it has some light units, but it also has some proffered affordable units um, in there as well. So um, once again, this is just another one of those applications, kind of showing you a little bit more information. Um, you all are are probably much more um, uh, knowledgeable about this stuff, but you know this also gives a little bit more information about how some of these programs work. Um, different uh, cost assistance and kind of breaks down like I said and provides some information so whether this is something that you all can use or maybe it's even something that you guys could provide out to clients so that they could get educated a little bit more on that may be something as well um, so I thought that was a really good one for kind of for your all's um, for this group um, but let's jump back over to that serving our community um, and the last one that I really wanted to point out was the community health dashboards. Um, so we'll click on that um, this is, I believe, part of the Live Healthy Initiative, the and Healthy Initiative, Live Healthy Loudon, sorry. Um, and very honestly, I'm not that familiar with this application. I just got into it um, looking at um, this presentation, but I was very much wowed with the amount of information that's available right at your fingertips. Um, uh, you can kind of just scroll down. Um, I'm just going to give you one example. I was able to click through and find a ton of information, but finding demographic data. We click on that, it will quickly bring up all of Loudon's information. So right there, we have a lot of information available to us. Um, I think a lot of this information be very powerful in providing into grant applications. But once again, looking at that where question, um, you know, a lot of the services here probably, or maybe not be countywide, they're more specific to a Sterling area or a rural Loudon. Um, so what you can do is you can actually filter based on a zip code. Um, so as mentioned before, I'm a Percival boy, so 20132 is mine. And as I click that, it actually changes the whole um, the whole filter. So now all of these values are based on that zip code, which is pretty powerful information, very quickly done. Um, what I like is it also provides that Loudon County average. Um, so um, that gives you something to compare to. Um, there's also a bunch of other information. Like I said, I am very I'm not very familiar with this website, but I found it very easy to use and user friendly. Um, there's a bunch of additional information. Uh, once again we can go back to the housing we can actually look at the housing statistics based on this um, once again really nice to know um, you know the unit changes just for that zip code as well as at the county wide level so again this is just one small example of what I think uh, that this can do but it, there's a lot of information out there and it really does once again get down to that question of where when we're looking at um, the data and um, and the questions that we're asking so I thought that was that was pretty pretty neat. Um, so let's bounce back. I want to give you all one more quick example. I uh, probably am running out of time, but I will um, try to hurry through this one. This is back to the GeoHub, the main page, and um, I think one of the one of the most powerful things as we talked about f- before is technology and the data really being available at your fingertips. Um, so you know, this is not only um, maps and applications, but there's a lot of data behind it. Um, So, we can actually go in here to the middle section, which is our open data section, and we can um, search for things. Um, One of the things that a lot of the data, I think when you guys heard from the census um, presentation, a lot of that is based on the census block groups. Um, So, let's say we wanted to get that information, whether it's um, in a tabular form or in a GIS form, we can just run a search. And just by searching for 2020 census, I get a list of things that are available. Um, Let's just find that block group information. Click on it it's going to come up with a Map Viewer application. Um, this is probably a little bit more detailed than you guys need for your application, but maybe not. Um, this allows you to um, download the data. Um, so if we click download here, it gives us a bunch of options. We can download it into a CSV and just bring it into Excel and make any changes we want. Um, from here is also the ability to download GIS compatible files. Um, so I think that's really powerful. You know, I'm not sure how many of your organizations have those capabilities or those staff, but um, you know, it makes it really easy to have all the data available right here at your fingertips. Um, kind of the, the the more advanced is that you know we take this information and then we go back to some of that information we talked about before. We go to back to the school sites, we go back to some of those, and we start overlaying them and seeing things. So, like I said, I think that's a little bit beyond where we'll go today in this in this. But there's a lot of functionality out there. Um, if any of your organizations have people that have a little bit of GIS experience, um, I would encourage you to reach out to me. There are some um, some additional functionality that's out there and I think there's some actually some online free accounts that you all can get as nonprofits. Um, it's not something that we um, directly support but I'd be more than happy to indirectly support that and, and, and walk you through any of that and make sure you guys have access to the data because that's kind of the, the next step and that's what we want to see our data used for so um, like I said that that gets us um, all that census block group information And then just one final shot, we'll go back and we'll run that search again because I want to kind of come full circle with some of the information we had before. Um, We have all these data sets um, and you can see they are all kind of classified as data. Um, But as we scroll through our list, we also have some applications. So these are things that the county has already built around some of those data sets. So um, here's the Loudoun County 2020 um, population based on um, different patterns of race, ethnicity, um, and if you, if you notice, let's turn on one of these layers, this is looking a lot like that data that we saw in that Flickr gallery. So this is really the next step. This is really where we're going with, these, with this information. Um, so we can zoom into an area. You know, we can't really do that on a, on a hard copy PDF map. You know, it's harder to do. We can zoom into an area. Um, this is just Black or African-American African population. We can click on a, on a census block group we can actually get the populations, get some additional information. So, you know, this is really where we're going next um, from this application. We can also do some printing. Um, Let's say this is more of your service area and you wanted to put together um, some some maps that kind of go through all the the different population race race breakdowns. Um, This is one of those things that I definitely think that may be helpful. Um, Like I said, it goes a little bit beyond those Flickr maps and, and those PDFs from before and lets you dig in and actually see a little bit more of the data. Um, so this is one of those things that we'll continue to update. Um, we're excited to have some um, uh, a demographer who's going to jump in and help us with a lot of this stuff, has some GIS experience. So yeah, I do believe that um, I, I think one of the questions coming up is does this actually have income? That data is available. I don't think it's actually built into this application. This application was specifically built for our redistricting effort um, and ensuring that there wasn't any um, making sure that our our race and ethnicity was considered when we were doing those efforts so that's really what this was built for but income is definitely something that we can include in these as we go forward so um you know this is just kind of the next level of that Flickr gallery so um wanted to make sure i pointed that out there's applications like this for a lot of different very focused um focused applications so um with that i'm going to jump back over and i'm gonna have to advance through a couple of these slides that we just did live demos for but wanted to make sure that you guys had um, all of our contact information. I know this was a whirlwind. I know I probably talked fast as I drink a lot of coffee, but hopefully you were able to grab a little bit of information from that. Hopefully that everybody was able to get, whether it was a data set or a resource that they may be able to use, or even just kind of that overall concept of where. Um, that's one of those things that it, it seems really simplistic when you think about it. But a lot of times we get so deep in the weeds that we're looking at numbers and, and data. And if we step back and actually look at the where, I think sometimes we can even paint that picture that Barb was talking about earlier, even a little bit better, um, you know, and, and showing the improvements and showing kind of the need very specifically to an area, not just Loudon County. I think that may be a challenge as as Loudon's affluence and other things, but, you know, we have a lot of needs. So being able to actually point those out and the areas that need them, um, hopefully some of these resources can help you out with that.
1: Excellent. Thanks, Trent. That was a whirlwind and so much information. There's just so much to go over. Um, So we appreciate you, you know, working through that. We do have a couple of questions in the chat. Um, And so the first is for the GeoHub, can you look up senior housing units? Do they have um, housing that is specific to um, senior populations or others
3: that are that are not just the ADU? The, the senior population, and if it, my my contact information is trent.smallloud.gov, so whoever had that question, if you want to have a follow-up with that, I'm happy to. But if, in general, that senior population is actually going to be available um, in one of the other applications in the development side of things, where it actually has kind of, it has built out and has a lot of that information, but it also has some senior living classifications in there that you could search by. So yes, that data is available. Um, I don't believe it's in that story map, um, but like I said, it would be over over in one of the um one of the other applications that we have and I can I can try to point that out and, and get that back to the group to, to send that back out. Okay.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right are there any other questions for Trent? All right well thanks again Trent. This has just been I love looking at the data and,
1: and thinking about it in a different way, right? We often just think about data visualization as as tables or as charts, and really we can do so much more with the where um, that's associated with that. And and really, um, you know, I keep going back to to other ways to think about services uh, and and grants. So, you know, when we were talking just as an example for schools or for um, expanding service areas, another thing you can think about is is where your clients are. So when you're thinking about the the Weblogis or even the GeoHub, you um, how you have the fire hydrants at the top of, of the layers, then, you know, thinking about those as clients or thinking about them as, as potentially clients who have specific needs, um, being able to identify where they are could also then um, help you to understand what your needs might be for those clients. Maybe they are low income clients who have transportation issues. Uh, maybe they're not near a transit stop. Maybe they're not near um. Uh, or have access to a car. So maybe you might want to think about a grant to purchase a van or something where where there are these, um, these tools that you can use the where to then inform how you might um, look at a strategy for funding additional services that you may need, which I think is just really cool. All right, uh, so we are going to move on to um, evidence-based practices. And as um, both Barb and Trent really really have hit home is the need for evidence is going to continue to grow. We have several federal initiatives um, that take place and, and a lot of federal accountability when it comes to improving decision-making, uh, both for policy, but also for, for implementation of services. And when we think about grants, um, you know, the, at the federal level, there is a very heavy emphasis on evidence-based practices and the need for evidence-based practice to be a part of this, what we would consider results-based accountability. Um, so the funders need to know what those outcomes are that Barb had mentioned, the the change in the characteristics of the clients you serve. And the way that you can most reliably do that and, and lend some validity is these evidence-based practices. And while there are many, many definitions depending on um, your your particular area, whether it be mental health or transportation or housing, there are several definitions. But this, um, from the National Association of Social Workers, is is kind of the uh, a nice way of putting them all together, right? Evidence-based practice really is what we would consider a combination of these standardized practices or manualized practices that are well-researched and show positive outcomes. But that also has to be coupled with clinical experience of um, the practitioner, as well as ethics, client preferences, and client culture to ensure that it's equitable, but it also needs to guide and inform delivery of services and interventions. So when we think about evidence-based practice, really um, what we want to make sure is that when you are identifying evidence-based practices, that you have the resources you need to implement them appropriately. And I think we're seeing more and more of that come through with um, your grant applications across the county, not just with human service nonprofit, but also in CDBG, in continuum of care, we are seeing um, that that The more you are looking at and utilizing these practices, the more evidence you either have or are using, which is which is really a positive um, for for not only your clients, but for the county to then go back to um, to our funders and to the federal government to say this is making a difference. And here's how. Right. Next slide. So, as we mentioned, um, really, the evidence-based practice and the decisions that are attached to evidence um, are kind of in the middle of this Venn diagram. Uh, practitioners, your counselors, your um, food service drivers, your um, your call center um, supports who are answering phones and dealing with client services, they all have experience in what they do. The experience, as Barb was mentioning, is anecdotal. There's not necessarily a way um, that they are collecting and sorting information in a way that is meaningful for a grant application. Right. They are working on individualized basis to ensure that the client's needs are met. This is also coupled with research. So. What um, it is for your job um, and your organization to do is think about how research informs that experience and that expertise. So that's where we talked about in Data 102, setting up these data collection systems that fit into a standardized process that can provide evidence or is based in evidence and research so that the practitioner experience and expertise can be utilized in a uniform way. All right. So then that helps to then bring in and adjust based on client preference, values, cultural experiences, and be able to look at the efficiency and effectiveness of this practice that you're employing, this intervention that you're seeing. So really the the area where we want to be using um, evidence based practice is is right in that sweet spot of all three. Right. So um, so not every standardized intervention is going to work for every client, but we need to at least have a standardized intervention to start from um, and then be able to adjust. As Barb was mentioning, this is where we can start to look at evidence of effectiveness across populations and across um, across cultural boundaries or um, what would be perceived as as boundaries and be able to expand the evidence base to say, this is what works for whom, why, and when. Okay, and so next slide, please. What we want to really focus on is um, what this means for nonprofits and why why we require it. Um, the, The major issue when it comes to service design Um, is focusing specifically on evidence of effectiveness for positive results. And we want to look at it um, from the term of a logic model. Right. Barb talked about inputs, outputs and outcomes. Uh, The logic model helps to guide this in some systemic way, but it also provides um, enough data um, and evidence to the funder and to say, this is effective. We are using something that is effective. Here are the five research studies that show that it's effective. Or, in the absence of a specific evidence based practice, here's our framework, and here's how we collect data, and here's how we show our outcomes. So, there are several ways um, that it is applicable to you as nonprofits, and especially if you've applied for any of the local funding. Uh, we require a logic model. We require Um, that connection and that visual representation between the evidence that you're collecting and the outcomes that you are anticipating. And so really what that means is, is not only that you're building from a base, but maybe if the base doesn't exist in the current literature, you are building that base and you have this framework and this methodology that can show positive impact and can be given to an evaluator to analyze specifically um, for evidence-based research. All right, next slide please. One other issue that we wanted to just bring up, especially when it comes to federal funding, um, there are a number of federal initiatives that focus on evidence-based practices um, and looking at awards based on Effective past performance and effective interventions. So um, we highlighted one here for the foundations for evidence-based policymaking. So um, there, there was actually in 2021 um, an effort, and this this effort is continuing, um, that there is an emphasis on data and on evidence to support decision making and um, policymaking at the federal level. So. Many of the the information or many of the decisions are based in policy or excuse me, are based in evidence. And we saw this um, even earlier on for those of you who may be in in special education, you know, looking at results based accountability. This started in about 2009, um, 2010, where uh, there is a shift for state accountability. Um, and local accountability to children's outcomes. And you have to report that to the state, and then the state aggregates to the federal government. And um, children's outcomes, young children's outcomes, are actually posted publicly. So this has been an area where the federal government and and many um, organizations uh, in philanthropy are, are pushing, because the only way we can make things more equitable is to identify where we are, what's working for whom, and then if we need to adjust it, how we adjust it based on data. And and really that's, that is the key. If we have large enough data sets, we are building this evidence base and we are building evidence that supports expansion of services that work and scaling services that work. And when we do that, we then get more data. So it helps us to prioritize um, areas that are, that are really steeped in evidence, and that when you collect your data, are collecting it with fidelity and evaluating it critically. Because if something's not working for the population you serve, you'd want to know that quickly. Um, and evidence-based practices not only help you uh, with deciding what might what might work for whom, but then also your own experience with your counselors or your um frontline staff your um, your mental health providers is really where some of those adjustments can be made All right, and I am going to take this off of the camera, or excuse me, off of the shared screen for just a second. So, Tracy, I wanted to also just share a little bit of some of the evidence-based practices links so that you can see uh, in our data and in our requirements, what we often look for is, sorry, I'm trying to figure out which which screen I want to use. Here we go. Uh, What we look for and what we've provided for the human service nonprofit process are um, a few uh, clearinghouses. But what we wanted to provide here are even more. Uh, These clearinghouses, as you can see, this document is approximately um, three pages, maybe even more than that long, and has a number of different topic areas and then specific practices or programs that have been shown To be effective um, at specific levels for policymaking and for just treatment and care. So really what we have typically given you is like the what works clearinghouse, which is um, evidence based practices along with the corresponding levels of evidence. Um, in education, we've also provided some for housing, some for other community guides. But I w- would like to just point out that there are so many others um, healthcare exchange, housing, um, substance use and abuse, maternal and infant health. And so, you know, this is something with especially thinking about how you want to collect evidence. You may have some roadmaps for that already in some of these tools. So we do have this. We'll put this in the chat. We also will have a link to it um, in the follow up materials. But this really is a much more comprehensive um, picture of where you can find practices um, or identify those practices that you feel as though you're already doing in your organization. And what do those most fit with? Um, how can you identify, you know, what it might mean um, in terms of evidence? So we will be sharing this with you um, fairly quickly. I think it's it's a really good tool to, to be able to just pull information from. Right. So I am going to stop presenting my s-
0: screen now and we'll have Tracy pull that back up. And now we would like to have a bit um, of a discussion, just a few minutes, whether that be in the chat
1: or in, um, you know, you can unmute your line and just introduce yourself. We want to know when it comes to evidence-based practices um, and standardized types of, of processes, what data do you collect when it comes to your services? And then where do you see some of those challenges? When it comes to collecting that data. And I think a lot of it, you know, will be about individualizing um, to client needs. And we can talk a little bit about that. But let's start first with the data you collect
0: related to the effectiveness of your services.
4: Hey, Megan, it's Valerie from Loudon Cares. Valerie, you know, I'm never shy. (laughs) <laughs> um, I would say, so we collect a lot of data during intake, a lot of demographic and, and that sort of data. Um, when we've done funding, we do send out surveys that ask things like, um, you know, were we friendly and professional, of course. Um, but also, um, you know, did they know where to find help in Loudon County prior to speaking with us? What, how they feel their um, financial situation is at, at the time, and was the um, the services we provided a you know resulted in a positive, um, was it a positive thing? Basically, I don't mm-hmm. know that, that questions to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't memorized them. Um, so we collect that kind of data and just to see kind of get a foothold. The challenges we have, like any other survey, is response, getting them to respond getting them to respond honestly, um, that sort of thing. So uh, those are the challenges we have in just uh, we do do it in Spanish and in English, and we do it through email as well as text P2P on their phones as well.
1: Yeah. And, and thanks, Valerie. I think that's really important when especially when it is a service like Loud and Cares provides where there could be anything from a very light touch, maybe one or two phone calls to really um, referring and moving that person to a series of services. It's really important to know and you've honed in on it. Did they actually know where to find help prior, and how did you help them with that um and that's just kind of the quick boil down question, right um for survey response rates that's that's really difficult because it would you know, often folks are in crisis. So if there are others who may have um, some some thoughts about, you know, increasing response rates, that might be um, another discussion. And I did see a hand raised. Um not sure who raised it, but if yeah. you, yeah, Hi. there we yeah, go. Yeah, that was
5: me. Hi. Hi. <laughs>
1: I'm, this is Stephanie from Just Neighbors. So this is really um, very helpful,
5: and especially talking, have this conversation. So I want to just get your input. So our problem is the same thing you know when in upon intake we do you know all the demographic all the zip codes you know race all that stuff mm-hmm. and then we do a closed case survey with once a year with all the cases and that we do sorry we do immigration legal services so mm-hmm. you know a lot of what we say is uh, once you get you know legal um, authorization then you're able to work the problem is is our the immigration system takes so long so within a grant period we're you know we're even though we've done a lot of intake and new clients we're never we're not going to get the results of those clients at the end of the year Mm -hmm. um so how would you i mean we you know we just do we it it doesn't i guess it doesn't the the intake doesn't um match up to the survey results of the closed case clients because those are people that had their surveys at the end of the year like maybe had opened a case two years ago so mm-hmm. how would you kind of or even even more than that in terms of now the immigration system but how would you kind of address those issues
1: that's a great question and I think um, you know when we talk about the demographic data and and that not being the same data you would report outcomes on I think that's a very interesting distinction because we see that so frequently with um, with longer term interventions right um, the case Is moving forward, it just is taking a longer period of time than the grant allows um, or that the grant funds. So what I would suggest is um, taking a look at your data and analyzing the average time or the median amount of time it takes for a case to go from intake to closed. And, you know, then identifying, okay, if this is taking X number of of years, let's say it takes um, 20 months, To close a case from start to finish, then what you can do is look at that 20 month window and say, okay, well, we know we have funding for the first year. Are there milestones that we know we have um, that we can make a case for in a year and then survey um, or or have some independent questions that your your service team can ask clients at the end of the grant period? So that then that allows for additional information on those clients year over year. So in the next funding year, you may be able to say, okay, we had these clients come in um, 20 months ago. Now we're at the 20 month mark. This on average is when cases start to close. This is going to be our first quarter reporting, um, which is actually the same people we were helping last year. And um, I think that continuity really does help, but you'll have to figure out what that milestone is within the funding area or within the funding timeline that supports um, the illustration or the demonstration that the case is moving forward. It's not as though you had intake and then you had nothing. Um, so so there there could be some ways to, to look at, at data collection a bit differently. Okay, yeah, that's really helpful. We could do like file, you know, filed cases or things like that. Okay, mm-hmm. that's helpful. Yeah. Okay. Great. And we also have um Jennifer who said that Mosaic looks primarily at demographic data, financial disparity data and housing needs and healthcare needs. So Jennifer, do you want to talk a little bit more about um about some of the the challenges that you're you're seeing with with collecting those data?
2: Sure, I think primarily for us, so we are a pregnancy center that, you know, really helps women who are in need of services across the board, Um, but just like the the lady spoke before me, primarily it's getting them to answer the questions, um, you know, honestly, or maybe there's sometimes communication barriers as well, um, and then follow up with, you know, um, sending out, um, you know, questionnaires
6: and such and getting responses that way.
1: Yeah. And and that's that's really hard, especially with with remote services or with remote follow-up. Um and and there could be some technology solutions that you use to identify uh variables that could be collected either, you know, on a, a sheet of paper right after um a client meeting or right before a client coming into the office, where you're asking them their expectations um on you know what would be a visit intake versus a, a total intake, right? You would have the demographic information during intake and they may have, you know, two appointments during the first appointment. What was their expectation? Right. You have a, a short survey, maybe three questions. And then upon leaving, were those expectations met? Um, it could be something simple like that. It could be looking at um, the effectiveness. How, how effective did they feel the the visit was? Um, for them, so there there are several ways that that you can think about how they answer honestly, and 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 it's not it's not the job of the the service provider necessarily to to identify whether or not their clients are answering honestly. I think what we have to do is assume answers are honest. Um, it's really hard to to identify areas where. It's unclear until you have that more comprehensive view um, with maybe some contraindications or some counterintuitive findings where you're like, maybe this just doesn't make sense. That's when you want to look in the data a little further, um, but you know everyone's experience is different, and I think we can contextualize that and, and can work on that in like a data management plan to figure out what other variables you can use to help contextualize some of those findings. I hope that helps. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Okay. All right. Any other thoughts on data collection areas that you see some struggles?
6: And I just wanted to go back to Stephanie's point. So if you are um, filling out a grant application, and I I noticed some of these from HSNP, and you're trying to show longer term um, outcomes that can't be demonstrated within the year, do you recommend that people also show past um, outcome data as part of their application?
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, because, again, if, if the service is remaining stable, then that's your past performance and past performance matters. Um, if you're looking at a specific population or your specific client base, you can tell us how successful you were in your last year um, or in the last year that you got funded. You can talk about your successes and um, link that to the logic model. And again, looking at average um, either level or intensity of services really makes a difference Um, to say that, you know, there are some services that have a very light touch and some services are very intensive. So being able to describe the number of phone calls, the number of visits, the amount of time that you're spending with a client helps us to then look at the level and intensity of services that are provided and then the anticipated outcome right so you would see maybe a smaller um positivity rating coming from a five minute phone call it's still positive but it's one question versus an entire two-hour assessment if it's an intensive mental health um intervention so it really does depend on the level of intensity that you would have i think that's a really good question and i can i can talk about that all day Um, (laughs) so let's move to the next slide and talk a little bit about what data should Loudon collect. Um, we, we had Barb and Trent talk about, you know, the, the data that we have available and the data that Loudon County collects in terms of our grant programs. Where are we missing the mark? Um, especially when it comes to our grant programs, are there other
0: data that we should be collecting? that you feel as though we're not? Eileen, disability, okay. And are there a standard set of indicators
1: um, that you would recommend us looking through? I mean, when I think about it, I think about it from the K-12 system where they have the the like 11 disability
0: categories. Um, are there other resources that we can look to? Are there others? Undocumented, okay. Oh, and thanks, Stephanie, for that um, that feedback. So,
1: so yeah, I think undocumented clients are really, really hard. Um, because we know they need the service and we don't want to dissuade them with a lot of data collection where they may fear, feel fearful that if the government accesses this, that they, um,
0: they aren't safe, or they um, they have some some issue um,
1: with the way the data are handled. I would suggest, especially when when talking about undocumented, we would love to hear a little bit more about um, how to collect that information, even if it's just "Are you undocumented?" and then you aggregate the data into a de-identified data set, and just say, "All right, of our." Um, 600 clients this year 423 identified as undocumented that would be all we need Um, because we don't at any cost want to um, want to uh, you know override any confidentiality we want to make sure that if it's anonymous it stays anonymous if it's confidential it stays confidential so um, there are data ways or ways that you can collect and then de-identify data Um, And we can work on that in the bring your own data and then the data management planning trainings. That's a really good point. Okay. so Eileen just mentioned that, you know, it could be a percentage of the population um, that is thought to have a disability and maybe an estimate provided. Okay.
0: And we can do that. I, I believe we have we have data on that from LCPS and then from from other areas. All right, anything else before we move into data toolkit planning? All right, well, then I am going to turn it over to Tracy to talk about
1: um, what else you want to see in um, in our data toolkit, and she'll give you kind of a brief overview of, of what we're doing there. So, Tracy? Sure, thanks, Megan. Um, So
6: you've seen this graphic many times before, uh, even through this presentation, but especially if you have attended the other trainings. Um, So throughout this whole series, we use this funnel to describe how to utilize data to contextualize your programs and services and describe your community needs um, to funders. So yes, the funnel begins with the data to describe the context of your community and its needs um, with national down to local, Um, Then it moves to program evaluation data to show the efficacy of your programs and services, and then to evidence-based practices to give fidelity to your interventions. Um, So to capture all of these insights and resources provided throughout the training, um, our staff has started to develop a data toolkit, um, and this will act, act as a guide so you can access publicly available data uh, to tell your organization's story. Um, So, on the next slide. uh, We started to identify some um, sections of the toolkits. So, um, again, the aim is to assist nonprofits in um, accessing publicly available data in one place. Uh, We would like for this to be a resource that is informed by the nonprofit needs and updated regularly. Um, so I'm also thinking of like including a form or mechanism for nonprofits to ask for additional resources um, or ask questions of the the uh, ask questions, um, so we can continue to update this resource. So um, I just wanted to ask you to think about what would be most useful for you in a toolkit, and we've outlined some options that we've heard throughout the series. Um, I, as as you may have seen, we've started planning for this toolkit maybe in in January, <laughs> and then as I started collecting more data, it just started to um, build and build and build. <laughs> so um, thinking about, we really want to focus this on what are what your needs are. So um, we have some uh, a section where there's data divided up by national, state, and local data used to describe need. We could also add grant writing resources to the data, uh, to the toolkit, um, base, basic statistical and evaluative resources, uh, free data analysis resources, and evidence-based research clearinghouses. So, just in the chat, or you can unmute yourselves and raise your hands um, if if you want to just talk
0: about what else you would like to see in this toolkit. Now, I know this is not a shy group. (laughs) (laughs)
6: Maybe I could go to the next slide and start the poll so you guys um, can rank what is most important. But Valerie said in the chat um, that we need to have a way to push out this type of information to others in our organizations. Um, And so people know and and transition uh, in organizations as well. So let me just go ahead and do the poll. I'm a little rusty with polls, so hold on one second. Um, so this poll is just asking you to rank. You could use the arrows um, to move up and down what is the most important um, information that you would like to see in the toolkit. It, it's. It might take a little while to build so we can
0: release it in in parts. <laughs> so, we just want to know what your priorities are. And while you're answering the poll, I do want to um, get to Lori's comment
1: about what other software nonprofits um, are using to track data and to formulate specific requests for grants. Like unduplicated by quarter, et cetera. I think that's really important. And, and we can put together some of that. We will need your help um, in doing so because I know some of you use um different uh CSMs. Um and and you know, we would want to make sure it's a comprehensive list and then also your satisfaction with it. We um We often just use for our purposes something that would be able to be extracted into um, a statistical package or into Excel where we can then um, set up analysis for various questions. I think the unduplicated counts is a is a great question specifically around how you can use um, some data matching software. Uh, And and. There there are several sets of data matching software or you can um, look at your data collection methods to identify how you would put a unique identifier on an individual um, so that every time they come in, something is popping up um, or every time you see them. That's that's an area where where you could just have
0: that data collection. That's a really good point, And we'll we'll work on that. Some folks are saying the poll isn't opening for them. Um, maybe you could just put in the chat those who
6: the the poll isn't working for you. You can put in the tap in the chat your top priority,
0: or unmute yourself to talk. <laughs> Oh, it says it's loading. Okay. Yeah, that could be an issue with the the teams.
6: I can okay. see the results so far that 13 sure. of you have responded, and, and there will be uh, more opportunity for you to give input on this uh, document as well. So it looks like um, national, state, and local. Uh, data to describe community need and evidence-based research clearing houses are the
0: top two. Okay. Great. We can definitely do that. Um so we uh
6: tried to divide up um we tried to divide up all of the various links that um I have found into national, state, and local links for each category, um, and the local data, um, because there is so much on our website, and, and Trent did such a great job uh, presenting it, um, it will more act as like a, a guide and a nonprofit filter to the Loudoun County website, so you know exactly where to go to access information that would be relevant for you um and then uh, we also would like to divide up data by categories so we have some tags here that we identified so far um and then we'll also have um some risk indicators um or barriers uh which we'll get to a little bit later in the presentation but again with this in the chat or You can unmute. I would just like to know what we're missing, um, what other categories you would like to see from the list. So I'll flip back so you can see the
0: categories that we have so far. And Tracy, is this is this another poll? Or, I'm sorry, is this just in the chat? This is just in the chat. Okay. Uh, Lori says... For mm-hmm. Lori, the presentation
1: isn't changing. Um, okay, Lori, we're on slide 21. Um, at the bottom of your screen, you should be able to see 21 of 34 um, at the slide, so you can... Um, Advance to slide 21. And so good question. What do you mean by budget? Um, So so there are several categories that we can provide um, specific information, whether it be from federal resources or state um, agencies that support budget initiatives or collecting data in a certain way to justify budgets so it would be a part of like a how-to with regard to justifications and setting up a budget that would be most appealing to a grantor Um, it would be that type of of information that type of data
0: i think yeah eileen medicaid eligible and ssi status yeah that's good Then uh,
6: we've also identified several risk indicators and um, um, that we plan to identify in this toolkit. And again, we define a risk indicator as a barrier that um, your services could address. And we were thinking about presenting it more in a table um, where, we would have a risk indicator, national databases, state databases, and, and local sources um, where you can find data on these risk indicators, and then evidence-based research
0: um, as a resource. And And I mean, now I
6: can flip to just kind of the word doc to go through what we have so far. Um and it definitely contains some of the links that Trent has presented on and um, links that we've used throughout uh the series. So let me stop sharing and just so show you what we have. Um, and then we'll open
0: it up for general um comments and questions after that. Um, So we'll define each of the categories here. So that was a good, very poignant question,
6: but I think it was Valerie. Um, we'll have risk indicators. And, and right now, everything is just laid out um, in an outline that's national, state, and local. We have some other resources and evidence-based research. So, um, and again, this is a tool that kind of, will encapsulate everything that we have gone over in this series. So a resource that really um puts a bow on the entire thing. So um we'll have uh, information from the Census Bureau along with search tips. Um and then housing and economic development, um treasury and, and these are all things that again will be categorized and Tagged, so um, the Grant Learning Center, Grants.gov, um, USA Sp- USA Spending. These were all resources that were previously mentioned. Um, the CDC Social Vulnerable Vulnerability Vulnerability Index, which uh, we use at the County a lot for equity data, um, and links that Trent had mentioned with the demographics data, open government, geo hub, um, we have education data in here. Um, so again, and as I was building this, it, the list just kept growing and growing. And we really would like your input on how we present this and keep this the most relevant for you. Um, Loudoun County also has um, some affordable housing data, which um, Trent has mentioned. Um, we have uh, community surveys, which will give you more context to our uh, Loudoun County services. The so Loudoun County budget data um, where you could see where the county is placing priorities and um, supplement um, your services. Um, We also have a Board of Supervisors resolution priority, prioritizing equity. Um, and then um, these are some other data resources that we've seen nonprofits um, utilize to, to describe
0: their need. Um, and then we have um, the resource
6: Megan just shared and, and some other um relevant clearing houses that we have used um so i think i could stop sharing now megan is there anything you would like to add at
1: uh, to all of that yeah so i think um i think what we would want to do is is also um you know Continue to bring this back. You know, we will probably bring it back uh, as we think about the priorities. We do have the top two priorities of like the table that Tracy was um, was showing, as well as the evidence-based practices, which we can um, we can flesh that out a little further if that would be helpful. Uh, so, so I think you know this is again a start. We are working on it. Uh, it's likely to be rolled out in phases because this this will take some time to identify exactly the data that you would need and make sure that it fits. Um, it fits with, you know, existing data that either is accessible by the public or by the county and then getting it, um, getting it into your hands. So we do have a couple of other questions. Um, does LCPS have info on the percent of LCPS students in special ed by category? Uh, they should. Short answer is they
0: should. That's a federal requirement. um, And we can find that for you. And then also, yes, we do
1: have a contact us email. Uh, So, Tracy, I think if you can just uh, have the contact uh, sent to to you, that way I don't lose it. I'm I'm notoriously bad at email, I will just say so. (laughs) Uh yes, Tracy will make sure that we have uh any additional questions categorized and um they'll be sent out with responses in writing to uh to the group with the materials. So if you do have additional questions, please let Tracy know. All right. Any other questions just more generally? Anything else for Trent or um or Barb? And I will say Trent has already answered the question about senior housing um, he just sent us an email and I just looked at it and it is exactly I think uh, the what answers the question there is in um, the geo hub I believe it was the geo hub correct me if I'm wrong Trent um, that there is in the development and um, housing communities tab of the geo hub you can search for residential areas and then restricted by age. So uh, we we do have the, the information there. And I'm not sure, Trent, if you still have that screen pulled up on your computer, if you want to just share that really briefly. Um, it was pretty intuitive, just based on the the screenshot that Trent shared. So
3: yes let me just uh, my share screen is not cooperating all right there we go Um, this is um, maybe a little bit more detailed but this is just one of those kind of a a little bit more research um, uh, available applications that you have Um, this is called our existing and approved development tool Um, so it actually has some tools to actually search for what's on the ground and different um, developments so if you click on this search development information Um, It has residential communities and as part of that it has the age restricted category. So we can go in there and say we want to see all of the partially um, age restricted developments and you can see that it pops up and gives you information. Um, There's also a list on the left side so that actually says a lot of the information that you might want to know about the actual name of the subdivision. Um, the one limitation that I do see is that you have to come in if you want to do ones that are are fully um, age restricted, it's a different search um, query, but it's something that is really relatively easy easily done there. Um and then just basic um, functionality. you can go in here and turn on and off layers. Um, so if that's a little bit too much information, you just want to get the <clears throat> excuse me, the um, information there, um, you can see um, that's how you get to it. So once again, there's a lot of a lot of stuff out there. So if there's any other questions that pop up like that, um, shoot them through Tracy or anyone else, and we're happy to get some information back to you.
0: All right, excellent. Thanks, Trent. Um, and And so also,
1: are there any additional questions as we close out the session?
0: Anything else that you need that you feel we didn't cover? Just put the correct link for the session evaluation in the chat. I think I was
6: linking you to the IEP information (laughs) for LCPS. Uh, But yes, if you could please fill in your session evaluation just while you're here
0: so I don't have to bother you on email afterwards (laughs) when I follow up. Right. And as we do close this out again,
1: I, I just want to thank Trent for his expertise and, and being able to walk us through some of the the real heavy hitting data that we have um, that that does take some time to go through. And luckily, we do have Trent and his division um, that that pushes the the information out in a digestible way. So we really appreciate you taking the time to to help us understand better where, where to find it and how the nonprofit organizations can use it. All right, and we do just wanna thank you all again for participating in the training. Um, the next training will be May 18th. Uh, that will be our grant management, um, or excuse me, data management planning. Um, we also are looking to reschedule the Bring Your Own Data uh, session So if you are signed up or have interest in that session, please contact Tracy to talk about how you can send your data. We don't want any identifiable data. Um, We want de-identified data, and we can help you with that as needed. So thank you again. We appreciate you coming out um, virtually on this rainy Friday afternoon, and uh, we really look forward to um, continued conversation about grants and data.
0: Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you all.